So all those people we were talking about last week uh, dying at uh, over 100 or near 2. And literally within minutes of recording this show, we got news that, uh, the last show, that Herman Wook. Yeah. 103. 103. It's unbelievable. You know, I thought Herman was dead already. I did too. Sorry about that, Herm. I did too. I think we started the run. We started the run. I think we decided we started it with Seymour Castle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Then we got our Luke Perry. Yeah. Uh, then our John Singleton, John Singleton, and uh, Peggy Lipton, Peggy and Lipton, uh, Joan, and, and Tim Conway, and, and Doris Tim, Day, and, Doris, yeah, uh, and her, yeah. It's and I'm sure there are others in there that we're, sure, we're you, you know, were missing, but, but sort, it's, of, sort of significant. Yeah, significant, it's you know. not. We're not yet on that on that catastrophic level where we're losing, you know, Prince and Bowie and, yeah. and George Michael all within. Just weeks of each other, well, or capping the year, but ex- except know. for Singleton of, and, and Luke. Yeah. Well, Luke, Luke and Singleton both holding yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, all premature. Yeah, but you know the other ones, you know, long lives, but really long lives. Some of them, really long lives. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Herman. You know, Herman. I never read any of those books. I didn't either. I just saw the I, I only knew him. I only knew it from the miniseries. I only knew too. it from the miniseries. I did too. But you know, um, hey, and he didn't write that many books, apparently. Yeah. Well, they they were all these sort of big, uh, yeah. post-war, pre-war, during the war, melodrama epics or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, but the movies were fun. Uh, yeah. The, no. The, win- the TV. The TV. Winds of War was a was a big deal at the time. It was a really really big deal at the time. Uh, so and and to kind of revisit a few things. So yeah, the uh, the battle between the agents and the writers guild is is kind of simmered down. That seems to be going nowhere. Agents uh, aren't really bending, but the writers aren't panicking. And all the writers I know are just doing business with their attorneys, and they appear to not really need their agents right now. Mm-hmm. Or, or or yeah, I mean a few. Um, uh, you know, our buddy Sherm at APA. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he reported to me that a few of their literary people jumped ship, either yeah. formed their own things or went to agencies that already weren't packaging, took their clients with them, yeah. a, a name or two here or there. But, you yeah. know, um, uh, so I don't know. I, it seems to me that it's just going to be this is yeah. what it is. This is what it is. I, they can't package. They, they cannot continue doing what they were no. doing before. That's not possible. So there is a change. That's, but it just what does it mean? Uh, I, I'm sure there are talks taking go, taking place because nobody's going out and doing what they usually do, right? They're not going sending out uh, nasty editorials and making public statements to try to move the need. Everyone's being very quiet, mm-hmm. so that leads me to believe that somebody that there that people are talking mm. and they're 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 staying quiet about it in hopes that they can come to an agreement. But it's interesting because in Ju- June is pitch season, yeah, uh, and so you know as we creep into June, this is when the this is when all that packaging. Happens would be happening. Yeah. Uh, so it's not going to be happening, at least not the way it, it, it traditionally no. happened. It can't. No. So it'll be interesting to look to see what deals look like. So many shows yeah. got canceled uh, over the past uh, last True. couple of weeks. I mean, a lot of stuff got whacked. Yeah. Some of the reason why that stuff got whacked is because those were part of packaged uh, deals yeah. that had happened in previous periods, yeah. and those aren't happening anymore. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, it will uh, it will continue to be more and more interesting, and of course, uh, Avengers Endgame is moving ever closer to uh, knocking Avatar out of the uh, out of the top all time spot. Interesting, you know, the all time top grosser domestically is uh, st- is was the uh, Star Wars Episode uh, Seven. Mm. That's the one that that's over nine hundred million dollars, like nine hundred thirty six million domestically, but uh, it's not. It didn't do giant foreign. Mm-hmm. So I think Endgame is going to overtake Avatar overall pretty soon. Mm-hmm. 
Um, don't know if it'll it'll become number one domestically though. It'll be an interesting thing to see because how many more Avatar movies are there? Two more? Three. Three more? Three more. Uh, and so as a series of films, I cannot imagine that series of films having the kind of staying power, the nah. legs, particularly nah. at the box office. Unless there the is pressure is going to be gigantic though. It's going to be gigantic, but I also don't think Disney is. I, and I had a, a, an interesting disagreement uh, with a friend over this, but I don't think Disney is as invested in Avatar. I think it's something they inherited with Fox. Um, but those movies are already bought and paid for. Yeah. That money is already spent. So yeah. Disney will do what they need to do to market them, but uh, and and to you know see that see some profit on them, and they will. But none of those are going to do what the original Avatar did. No, no, not, not which means close. they won't come near to doing what Endgame is doing now. And it's no. just just mm, no, not even going to do close. Anyway, all right. Well, let's get let's get cracking. Uh, we got a heap of anime here, uh, starting with an anime legend, and I've got to I've got to put this right at the top because this is a big deal, and a lot of people have been waiting for this for a very long time, and there have been false starts, and uh, it's been rumored and and here and there, and it never quite happened, and it finally has happened. The beautiful collector's edition box set of Hayao Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke. From the uh, Studio Ghibli collection, uh, this is absolutely sensational. This is an absolutely beautiful movie. thing. This is from G Kids, who is releasing all of their own stuff now. And uh, you know, this was momentarily with Disney. And anyway, so Shout and G Kids are working together on the G Kids stuff. So Shout is technically re- releasing it, but G Kids is doing their they're they're mastering this stuff and putting it together on their own. And that, I think that's great. So from uh, from the Studio Ghibli collection is this beautiful box set, which is it's a it's a square box, and it includes a soundtrack on CD and a forty page book and uh, some really decent um, uh, extra features as well, like like the uh, the feature length storyboards and uh, some featurettes and TV spots and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately, you're watching this for the movie, and Princess Mononoke is a wonderful wonderful movie. Yeah, it uh, the it's worth pointing out that the um, the American dubbed version was not that great. It was, and and you get it here. You can see it dubbed if you want. But um, watch the Japanese version. That's where this really comes alive. The, yeah. the the English dubbed version had like Billy Bob Thornton and some voices that just don't work. Yeah. The Japanese version really kind of brings it home. It's an environmental message, and it's a little bit of a preachy film. But um, it's just a wonderful myth. It's fantastic, and it's uh, it, it you know the girl raised by wolves and trying to you know work with the forest spirits and the animal gods to to save the earth. It's just a it's a beautiful beautiful film. It's really really wonderful and one of Miyazaki's very best. And what a wonderful box set, Princess Mononoke. We've been waiting for this for a very very long time. Um, also got a few others to, to roll through. Try to go through these as, uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, got some here from Funimation. Got uh, the complete series of Dimension W. This is, uh, well, I'm going to put all these together here because they're, these all kind of belong together. Hang on. Got a... All right. There's a, there's a new line from Funimation yeah. uh, that they've been doing for a little while, which is the Essentials line. And these are things those. that have been these are things that have been released before, but they're all classic series, right? Yeah. And uh, they they want everybody to kind of uh, pay attention to them all over again and uh, and fall in love with them all over again. So they're putting them together in a in a in a very very smart way. And uh, the these are all Blu-rays. They are not Blu-ray DVD combos. It's only one disc. It's only the Blu-ray disc in all of these. 
and these are all the essentials, and they're uh, they're now re-released in these uh, in these you know set with a, with a digital copy as well, mm. um, and uh, some of them have uh, really some kind of funny pull quotes on them. For example, um, Ninja Slayer from Animation. Now this is Ninja Slayer is a little bit controversial. The what is funny is that what they put on it to market it, they put these like little fake sticker graphics on here. And one of them, these are the pull quotes, right? This is for Ninja Slayer from Animation, uh, part of the Essentials line. And one of them is a quote from uh, a particular critic that says, LOL, no. The other one says, this is easily one of the worst shows Funimation has ever licensed, maybe even the worst. Um, and, they're, and then on the, on the back, there's another one that says, hot garbage. Like, like they're owning the fact that people hate this thing. <laughs> they're just totally owning it. Uh, and I got to be honest, it's uh, it's not that bad. Mm. I guess for anime people, it's probably horrific. Um, but it's not terrible. I mean, the animation is worth watching. It's a it's a little bit nuts and off the wall. But uh, Ninja Slayer from animation, um, well, it's divisive. But that's one of that's part of the essentials line. <clears throat> Also from the Essentials line, Burst Angel, which uh, I think is just really cool and sexy. Uh, definitely not for kids, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's hot women doing uh, mercenary stuff and and being really violent and wearing skimpy little outfits that look uh, dangerous and sexy all at the same time. And you know why not? Because that's partly what anime was created for. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> then we also have the complete series of Dimension W. Um, it, Pretty aggressive stylistically, almost impossible to really understand the whole cyberpunk world that that this inhabits. It's a, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit cryptic, but um, you know, uh, give it a look. Dimension W, the complete series. Um, let's see, uh, more cute pixie girls. Uh, the complete series of We Without Wings, also part of the Essentials line. Uh, this is from the people who did Shuffles. If you know what Shuffles is, it's pretty much exactly the same kind of thing. Uh, it's got the same kind of little kinky, um, uh, young girl fetishistic thing going on, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's, it is, it is what it is. Uh, then Bikini Warriors is exactly what the title says. They are warriors and they wear the tiniest, skimpiest of bikinis. Tim, look at the artwork. Tell me. You don't even need you don't even need ink for that. <laughs> you just like the, the idea of the thought of a bikini. I know. Uh, anyway, it's uh, you I know love it, it. It, it's really quite funny. Look, all I'm, I'm telling you, it just takes place in a mythical world, and you have women who wear next to nothing who are going out and fighting up a storm, and you yeah. are only watching. Basically, this is just one step removed from hentai. You're you're watching <laughs> yeah. this only because you want to watch dangerous anime strippers. I don't know yeah. something like that. Uh, Scrapped Princess, the complete series. This is the uh, all 24 episodes, also part of the Essentials line. And uh, this is actually quite pleasant and very, very enjoyable. I uh, this is, These are the people that originally did uh, Full Metal Alchemist. And uh, it is, a, um, it is a, another standard kind of Joseph Campbell thing where you have uh, a, you know, this, this, this girl who is, um, who is prophesied to achieve a certain thing. And they refer to her as the scrapped princess. 
and uh, this is her very Joseph Campbell-like adventure, and uh, with her with her you know two siblings. Um, it, there's a the mythology gets pretty deep at a certain point, but it's not overly cryptic. It doesn't it, you know you don't have it doesn't take a lot to wrap your head around it. So uh, Scrapped Princess, as far as the mythical Campbell-esque feminist odysseys, is one of the better ones in recent years. Got a couple of other uh, real swanky collectors boxes here. Uh, this is Darling in the Franks. Franks is spelled F-R-A-N-X-X. This is a really, really slick box set with a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a little slip cover on it. Comes with all kinds of uh, collectible cards and a production art booklet and all kinds of other stuff in it. Um, the uh, the this is this thing is apparently really, really popular right now. This is episodes one through twelve, and um, it's 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 kind of a I, I, I want to say on some level it feels like an anime version of the Avengers, the original uh, TV, the Avengers. Um, it definitely pushes all of those buttons. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful set. Everything that, it, it, you know, you could, uh, this is, you know, exclusive content on uh, part one. And uh, it, it's great. It's you know really... me, I live for Kathy Gale and Mrs. Peel. And oh, yeah, yeah. This, honor, this honor is. Blood. That's that anime, the anime in the vein of. Yeah, it's, uh, this is fun stuff. And then, um, and then we've also got seasons one and two plus extras of um, Concrete Revolution. Uh, Concrete Revolution is uh, is is pretty outrageous and outlandish stuff. This is uh, also this is about uh, I, I guess uh, Men in Black is maybe a kind of a mm. kind of an example of this. So you've got this special uh, special group of agents that have been formed to protect society from creatures and demons and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so there's a, there's definitely a man in black kind of a man in black kind of a vibe here. Um, it goes in some weirder directions as anime often does, and certainly it's not like aliens. You know, men in black is aliens. This is more outlandish creatures, so that they can do even more outlandish anime. But um, there's a lot of fun stuff here: promo videos, and commercials, and uh, all kinds of other stuff in here. And there's even uh, an, an explanation of what the Concrete Revolution is. Um, I think technically it's Concrete Revolution show. But um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know what revolution is. Mm. So it's yeah. concrete revolution to me. Uh, let's uh, let me pick just a few more out of this last bunch. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is good stuff. Uh, Armored uh, Trooper Votums, uh, the OVA collection one from Made in Japan. Uh, Armored Trooper Votums is, uh, you know, it's part of the mecha tradition in anime. And uh, it's uh, you know it's it's guys shooting stuff and with giant armor and uh, all all the things that you want out of Mecca um, doesn't really transcend any of the rest. But this particular uh, fifty-two episode run has a certain following, so that's out there. Uh, let's see. Also from Funimation is uh, Ultimate Otaku Teacher, the complete series. Um, I don't know why they call this ultimate. Uh, it, no, there's, there's nothing ultimate about it. Um, this is uh, this is it's nothing. You know, this is not action or anything. This is just kind of fun and cute and uh, and modestly entertaining. Um, it's got some some humor to it, but uh, it's a, it's a little bit of an, a self reflexive thing on manga and anime. It's about this um, this kid who just is obsessed with anime and manga. And uh, he's, you know, all he has in his life is sort of loneliness and uh, and his blog. And he can't really, uh, he's like a Walter Mitty character, mm -hmm. right? He's a Walter Mitty character. So he can, uh, you know, he, he just, uh, 
wants to find something that's fulfilling for him, and he eventually finds it in teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get into all kinds of weird tangents that sort of take it off on on uh, on on a weird weird plane. But nonetheless, it's entertaining. I don't know why we call it ultimate, but uh, there it is. It's a guy who becomes a teacher, and he's like Walter Mitty. It doesn't even make sense. Mm. Most anime doesn't. What do you want to tell me? Okay, uh, and then just a couple more here real quickly. Um, One Piece. Oh, the One Piece The One Piece thing. Shonen Jump One Piece episode of Sabo uh, is a a Blu-ray and DVD combo set. This is a a separate One Piece adventure that uh, will certainly sit well with anybody who has seen One Piece. If you haven't seen a single episode of One Piece previously, none of this is going to make any sense to you. You need to have some kind of frame of reference for the One Piece world. Otherwise, that thing will just be, it'll completely throw you. Um, and then I'm going to do one more. We can get into some documentaries. No, that's not very interesting. Hold on. Uh, yeah. Uh, Desiree, the complete series, uh, spelled like D I E S I R A E, like Desiree, Desiree. Uh, this thing is outlandishly animated. It's really, really super cool. The um, this is a, a supernatural adventure that is all about a high school student who is uh, empowered to stop the resurgence of a supernatural force in the world. And uh, it is again that Joseph Campbell thing. These are always messianic figures. But the uh, the costumes, the uh, the animation, the artwork, the art direction in this thing is just super cool, super slick. Has kind of a, I want to say a matrixy vibe to it, but it's really really cool, and uh, it's worth checking out. That is uh, that is from anime, and it is D I E S I R A E, the complete series, Desiree or Desiree, however you want to pronounce it. Mm. All right, let's uh, let's move on to some other stuff. We got docs. A few docs, yeah. Uh, some interesting stuff here uh, uh, too. Uh, Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down, the untold story. Uh, of course, the Black Hawk Down movie we'll all remember. Uh, uh, what does late? Which 90s. is out on 4K, and I'm still harassing Sony to send it to us. Yeah, very, yeah, Just want to point that yeah, out. Powerful movie. Uh, Ridley was that Ridley? Or <laughs> no, Tony? it was Ridley. That was Ridley. Ridley's like super proud of that film. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it, you know it's it's, it's a good it's, it's a good movie. And it to- the story it was telling is the October 1993 uh, story of the downing of two black hop- helicopters, which is in Mogadishu, uh, Mogadishu, uh, Somalia, which is what this doc is about. So here we get the actual true story. Yeah. Several of the actual men who were there from from the various different uh, branches of the ser- service that participated in this siege, yeah. uh, which was uh, in you know very um, intensely told there. Nevertheless, as is often the case, this is better. Yeah, this is better. They have these actual people, uh, and a lot. There was a lot of footage of this uh, taken from all kinds of perspectives and points of views, including, um, uh, believe it or not, a wee bit of body cam footage, which in 1993 was sort of an amazing thing. Was a different kind of thing that they were using it for, not like it's used today. Uh, uh, But uh, all kinds of stuff that they used to tell these stories, Uh, but not, but not any recreations. I'm happy to say. So all kinds of bonus features on this too. So um, uh, Black Hawk Down, the untold story. Nice. Yeah, yeah, neat stuff. Um, the Moses controversy. Wait, I sh- really should let you do this one, uh, uh, <laughs> just because it, there's there, there's a context to all of it. So, uh, and, and Michael Medved yeah. has a quote, particularly on the back uh, of the box there. Yeah, the uh, pattern, patterns of evidence. Uh, this is this goes to the. Uh, this is actually a really interesting um, uh, series. Or re- there's a there's a longer series of this patterns of evidence that deals with the uh, the 
the origins of books of the Bible and who wrote them and so forth and so on. No, it's actually very, very interesting um, because the question is, did Moses actually write the five books of the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, which is some of the stuff I studied. The reason Tim handed this to me is that's some of the stuff I studied in college originally when I was a history major. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, 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 there's a real dispute over it. But uh, so Tim Mahoney is the uh, the guy who does who's done this before. He did one on the Exodus and. Uh, now he's examining whether or not uh, the evidence really does support that. There's all kinds of evidence to su- suggest that Moses wrote most of them, but then they were finished by someone else. Mm-hmm. And you know that's kind of that that dispute goes on endlessly in history. I mean, there's if you yeah. study, even even the Quran, the Quran was never written down during Muhammad's life. No, no it, was, it, was, it was orally. It was orally, orally transmitted. Yeah. The Mahadara, all kinds of stuff yeah, inside the Mahadharab and the yeah. Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, and um, uh, in, in outside of the realm of religion, uh, yeah. issues around Shakespeare. You know who 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 really wrote this and that and. This particular play or that particular play. Yeah. There are even there are even people who say that uh, Shakespeare didn't actually exist. Yeah, well, well you screw, know, screw them. Yeah, because they're, they're, that's. Ridiculous. I know he exists because I just saw him in a new Kenneth Branagh. Movie. Yes, of course. You know, you know with that. Yeah, nose. the Moses controversy. Uh, so all the patterns of evidence stuff. The previous one was patterns of evidence. The Exodus, and uh, yeah, this is the this is fun stuff. Uh, and then I have uh, um, three docs in, on one disc here, A Hero's Welcome, honoring the extraordinary sacrifice of America's greatest soldiers. And what we basically have here are three separate films to tell the story of three very heroic uh, deeds undertaken during war. Never Surrender, the uh, Ed Ramsey story, uh, tells the story of Ed Ramsey, who, who doing the, 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 the campaign in the Philippines. Uh, his, his, his unit was pretty much smashed to pieces. He was, he, he was able to get away, and rather than surrendering, he joined an underground uh, Filipino uh, band of uh, guerrillas, uh, rose to the level of commander in that group of uh, almost 40,000 guerrilla warriors, uh, and just you know led them uh, in, in the rest of the war in the uh, in the Philippines. Wow, uh, which is quite a story. So that's Ed Ramsey's story there. Until there are until they are home. Uh, the, the, the first one, by the way, is being narrated by Josh Brolin. These all have uh, sort of interesting guys narrating. Kelsey Grammer narrates until they are home. This is the story um, of of what what's called the Joint POWMIA Accounting Command. That's a long name. It's a long name, and it kind of goes back all the way back to those guys that they sent after World War II uh, into into well all over Germany to find all that stolen art. I think there was a movie about that. Yeah, uh, with George Clooney, or if, if I'm not mistaken. Well, this was this is this is essentially that sort of a group of guys who uh, go back to various different uh, 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 places where major battles were fought and try to collect and identify and bring home as much information and, and identification as they can about any any, um, MI, any, any folks still in MIA yeah. in any particular theater of war. Uh, so that's what they do. Uh, Kelsey Grammer nominating, uh, 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 narrating that. Return to Tarwa, the legend the, the legend of Leon Cooper, the Leon Cooper story. Uh, and we have Ed Harris narrating this one. Oh, it's, it's all about your narrator. It it's really all is. about your narrator. Those, really, are, really those are two really great voices. Yeah, yeah that, that was a very, very bloody battle fought in 1943, and this is all about that beach uh, that they had to take. And what we do, basically, is we literally, with this old soldier who's still alive, alive at the time of the making of this movie, obviously, uh, return to that beach and have him sort of narrate uh, as much as he can remember 
and he can recall a great deal about that about that bloody bloody battle. Yeah. So that's what these are, uh, uh, and you know, I, it's, it's really interesting stuff. You know, you can never. Um, I, I do not believe you will ever run out of stories to tell about uh, WW two for sure. Never. Uh, I don't know about Vietnam, maybe maybe Korea, but uh, WW two. I think yeah. I think you'll, you'll be able to do that forever. Bosch, the gardens, the Garden of Dreams. That's a wonderful, wonderful painting. The Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. Bosch, uh, who died about 500 years ago. Yeah. Um, this doc sort of celebrates that by examining, uh, looking at, uh, philosophizing about yeah. this particular Hieronymus Bosch painting. Hieronymus is known for having painted some fairly disturbing things. Um, um, uh, this particular painting isn't terribly disturbing, but it's full of a uh, metaphor and uh, homily. It's it's full of all kinds. Of, you could you could write. Um, I think it was Salman Rushdie that says you could probably write a uh, hundred novels just from looking at this painting. Any any it's so it, great. Any four or five inches of this painting is telling you an entirely different story. So it's quite extraordinary. Uh, this film uh, goes into everything there is to know about that painting and a good deal about Hieronymus Bosch. Um, uh, really great Cre- stuff. Bosch, Cre- The Garden of Dreams, is the name creepy of the paintings, but they're great paintings. Creepy paintings, but amazing. Um, particularly given uh, yeah. the period in which they were done. Gary Winograd uh, was one of the original street photographers. Uh, Man, this is a cool movie. I uh, like, and, and Gary. Well, Gary was those street photographers. What these guys w- w- started doing, and women. Uh, is is uh, is is uh, late as far back as the late thirties. Is going out into the streets with little cameras like Brownies and Leicas. Yeah. And simply photographing the life, the things that people were doing on the street. Occasionally, they would capture something absolutely extraordinary. Um, um, but, but mostly, it was just about life as it was happening. It was cinema verite in cameras. The, the great thing about this doc in particular is it's not just about his photography. It, there's a moment in here where he moves from New York to L.A., mm-hmm. And uh, his his photography changes. Yeah, and they analyze. Uh, there are some you know some of his real scholars of his his work who study his life, and they they put the and one guy figures out why, and when you find out why, it you're just gonna cry. Oh really? It just it's the most beautiful moment. It's just a beautiful thing. It's a great, really fantastic. great moment of elucidation. Yeah. Uh, Gary died in 1984, and this is an absolutely extraordinary mm-hmm. work. If you do not know the work of Gary Winograd, then this is really a great film for you. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, if you're a fan of particularly street photography, a lot of black and white photography, uh, you're going to really, really love this uh, movie. Um, Sasha Waters Fryer, Gary Winograd, All Things Are Photographable is the name of the the name of the movie. Yeah. Good stuff. Nicholas and Alexandria, The Love Letters. So these, this is with uh, Susanna Lipscone, who's a um, scholar. Uh, uh, of uh, czarist Russia and other things, so mm. uh, you know, well, more than a hundred, well, more than a hundred years ago now, a couple, couple, couple of years past, hundred years ago now, Tsar uh, Nicholas and his wife Alexandria and all of their children were taken were out killed. to the borders and murdered, uh, assassinated. Yeah, assassinated. That's what they were. Uh, so anyway, this explores the literally, the literally, uh, hundreds of letters, love letters written back and forth between. Nicholas and Alexandria. Aside from, from being extremely sort of intimate, uh, I mean, they, they get real hot and sexual in, in, in some of the stuff. It also illustrates what lousy, lousy <laughs> leaders they were. That's true. They, they, they were just terrible. There's a reason there was a revolution. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the way that they understood and saw things and the way that they understood the people. Yeah. And, of course, they were, they were listening to Rasputin. Yeah. yeah. First, first, first mistake. <laughs> and you listen to Rasputin, you end up in a hole out in the, out in the, uh, 
out in the woods. But nevertheless, this is quite um, elucidating to that period as well. Thousands of love, love letters back and forth between them. And uh, the sort of analysis of, of it all by Miss Lipscomb is, uh, is really, really quite good. Quite good. Um, uh, surviving uh, Birkenau. Uh, with, by Dr. Susan Spatz, mm. the Dr. Susan Spatz story. So Dr. Spatz is a wonderful uh, professor at the University of uh, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. It's where she taught most of, most of her career. Uh, and this film uh, is all about, and they tell it with all of these wonderful documents, photographs, when she was uh, in 1922, that uh, she was born in 1922, and when she was a teenager and the Nazis came into Vienna, uh, her and her mother had to make a number of decisions about what they were going to do. Her mother made some very bad mistakes, mm. one of which led to her to the loss of her and to into her teenage daughter to Susan uh, going on the run and being led on a death march and spending some time at every one of the major uh, death camps that you can think of. I think they started she ended up at uh, they, they, I think at Terrain status where they started out and she ended up at, at Birkenau. And this is just an astonishing, astonishing story of how this little slight teenage girl, managed to survive for three years, including that insane, brutal death march, uh, in, in, until, until they were actually liberated. It's just a story mm. of how she managed to do that uh, and, to, and to go on to live a very long and influential life. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful... She, she, she goes about now um, uh, talking, telling the story. So this, this is a document of what happened to her and to those Holocaust uh, deniers. Uh, I suggest you watch this. Um, this is this is a real story of an absolute survivor. My fa fantastic surviving Birkenau, the Susan Spatz story. Louis Thoreau, my Scientology movie. Oh, okay. So this is a bit of a scammy movie uh, and, and a little bit self-serving. Uh, so a documentarian, uh, Louis Thoreau, he he decides that he wants to do a doc on the, the Church of Scientology. He wants to be admitted, get, gain admittance into their main headquarters. Yeah. Uh, well, a that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and do this doc, and he of course he knows this is not going to happen. So what he does pulls is a sort of Michael Moorish kind of thing, where he basically just yeah. trolls the Scientology building, and he trolls yeah. Scientology people, and he trolls uh, the guards at the Scientology building, and then he takes it up a notch. <laughs> he does in fact interview several people who sort of left a Scientology and have uh, bones to pick. Yeah, and he gets them to describe in extreme detail very specific moments that they that they claimed. They witness. Sometimes they do, in fact, corroborate each other, though. So that's an interesting thing. Then he goes out and hires actors to play the individuals in in, in each one of these scenarios, <laughs> as described by these scientists. So he has somebody playing that. Who's that guy's name? Muscovich. Yeah, he has a guy yeah. playing Muscovich. The guy looks like Muscovich too. He hires a guy to play Tom Cruise. Guy looks like Tom Cruise too. <laughs> and and he sets up a scene in the set, and he has this guy describe it all, and he gives them direction. They shoot it, and and basically. They make up and shoot a scene. And then the other guy also says, yeah, it was just like that. It's just like that. <laughs> uh, and, this, and then Tom did this. And then he has – so, you know, it's, it's it, nothing. This is, I, I'm not even really sure you can call this a documentary. <laughs> can you do it? I guess. It's a, it's a personal essay film. It's, it's like a the, personal essay. It's, it's what Moore does, but it's also what uh, Morgan Spurlock does. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but what do you learn about Scientology? Not nothing. Much. <laughs> Not, not a he's, just, thing. he's promoting himself. Yeah, and yeah. we're just fine. Knock yourself yeah. out with that, dude. Uh, a documentary by Greg uh, Bergman in A.D. Freeze called Big Like Me, the extended director's cut. That's a joke. So this, this, is a, this is a movie. 
about this guy, this comedian Greg Bergman, who directs the film, uh, as he goes on this excessive, uh, this uh, this crazy quest to enlarge his penis. Okay. Uh, he wants. He wants. He, Good night, he, everybody. He, he tries. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll be here all week. Um, every stupid pill you can think of, he takes. Oh, every my. potion you can think of, he rubs on that thing. He eventually goes down to Tijuana, Mexico, where he's going to talk to this surgeon. Oh, no. And you know what? I turned the movie off. <laughs> I didn't want to see how the hell that turned out. So. All right. We got a bunch of uh, we got a bunch of PBS stuff here. Um, we're going to go through it rather methodically. Um, let's see. Right to Fail is a frontline documentary uh, done in collaboration with ProPublica that looks at uh, a uh, – it begins with a 2014 uh, ruling that the uh, – that in New York, that people who had um, extreme mental illness and were sitting around in homes were being neglected and that this was a violation of civil rights, okay? So that then completely changes the legal status of thousands of people. And um, it, it's it, 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 if you flash forward then until 2019... Now you now you you see how the policy actually how this change has has resonated. Was this a constructive thing? Was this a good thing that we that we now are trying to uh, trying to sort of take these people who normally are perceived as being not capable of caring for themselves and giving them the chance to sort of be autonomous and independent and whatnot? So um, and it's interesting uh, the uh, the the actual program. The, uh, the the housing program that uh, that is involved here is is um, it it it's 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 there's pros and cons to it and um, it, it it's a the the question is is there a right to fail yeah. uh, in life just generally and uh, most people would say yes but the the all of the legal the legalese is what makes us so interesting is yeah. that you know the what the courts do and don't do and what they can and can't do and what they should do but won't do that's where it really gets into the weeds it's it, actually it, very it interesting it got complicated in another spot too it's because <clears throat> sometimes your failure costs society something yeah so you're out there failing and my taxes just went up yeah uh, whereas, uh, you the know, ripple effect. Yeah. You know, perhaps just my quality of maybe my, maybe my taxes didn't yeah. go up, but maybe my quality of life it's, went down because of your failure. It's a question of where you draw that line. Yeah. Like how much, uh, because sometimes it's pretty obvious, you know, like the old saying is your, your right to throw a punch stops at my nose. Yeah. You know, well, that's a clear cut okay. line, Yeah, but there are other areas where that line isn't quite so clearly yeah. defined yeah. and especially where the mentally ill are concerned. So yeah. that's, that's, what's interesting there. And then uh, a couple of Nova's here. Uh, Rise of the Rockets. I love it. Uh, coming on the eve of Rocket Man, which is getting all kinds of rave reviews out of uh, Cannes. has yeah. nothing to do with Elton John. <laughs> no, this is about as much as that Freddie Mercury movie yeah. had to do with him. Uh, no, this is just uh, this is about now that we've moved into a new era where we used to have you know government rockets, and now private companies are building rockets, and costs are coming down. And uh, the question is, you know, are we finally getting to a place where we're going to you know uh, start to merchandise space? And it's very, very interesting. Uh, it, it makes some predictions. I'm not sure they're entirely correct, but it's certainly interesting. And the other Nova is the next Pompeii. Uh, and the question here is, you know, Pompeii was uh, back in 79 AD, buried the entire city, and uh, they just discovered all kinds of things about Pompeii, like that they used mm. molten steel to fill mm -hmm. in potholes and stuff like that. So um, the question here is, uh, is there going to be a next Pompeii? You know, is there somewhere else on the earth that is threatened by a volcano? 
And uh, the uh, the answer here is that um, in Naples, they may very well be the next one. They are uh, they, there's a there's like a giant volcano that was recently discovered pretty much underneath Naples. So if, if that thing ceases to be dormant and explodes, the entire city of Naples could be blown into the into the atmosphere. Yeah. So um, it's very very interesting and a little bit scary. Um, but it's Nova, so they're not exactly pulling our chain. Wonderful travelogue here. The Best of World's Greatest is uh, six episodes of um, just beautiful parts of the world. Everything from, from you know, Machu Picchu to volcanoes to uh, coral reefs and islands. And uh, it's a travelogue. You're just traveling around the planet, PBS style, seeing all of the, these extraordinary places around the world that are considered among the greatest in their, in their individual classes. And uh, it's... Most of this is stuff that these are places that are, that are hostile on some level. You're not going to sort of join a tour and, and go there with, you know, some kind of a package deal on a, on a cruise ship. you got to make an effort. Uh, but some of these, you're going to want them on your bucket list. It's a, it, it, the effort is definitely going to be worthwhile. So uh, this would have been a good one to do on Blu-ray. Not on Blu-ray, unfortunately, but still worth checking out. The best mm. of World's Greatest. Interesting, interesting. Also out of PBS, uh, part of the Secrets of the Dead series, The Nero Files. This is very interesting to me, then. This is another one of these sort of explorations of whether or not the historically, the historically reported individual is kind of true. Nero, of course, yeah. uh, renowned mm-hmm. as a brutal, uh, villainous, horrible, horrible miserable, miserable dictator who burned Rome so he could uh, fiddle to it and compose a song. Um, um, uh, look, uh, the 68 AD was when um, um, uh, Nero was around, and he was one of the last. He was the last uh, Julio Claudian emperor. So he was adopted. He was an adopted son. Oh my gosh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's so what they pretend to do here is to, for research and, and the historical documents and then un- uncovering this, that, and the other thing. Find what the true story is about Nero. It suggests that what we think we know about Nero is not true. J.O. Sanders is doing the narration, uh, by the way, and I love J.O. Sanders' voice, so it's kind of cool just for that alone. Uh, uh, Two others, both um, uh, Dr. Lewis Henry Gates projects. The first, Finding Your Roots, a continuation of his, you know. It's a great show. It's just wonderful Finding Your Roots series. Uh, I just love it. I just love it. And, and it's not so much about the individual things that are found out about any of these usually sort of quasi-famous people's roots. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, what's interesting is that um, the, the way expectation is always undermined. Yeah. That's what I like watching. We think we know people. Yeah. You're looking at some guy, he's black. You're looking at some woman, she's yeah. white. You look yeah. at, and by yeah. the time Doctor, Lin- I'm sorry, you're Japanese. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do the DNA, yeah. they, they do all yeah. the research with the paperwork and all of that. But then they do the DNA business yeah. too. Yeah. And, uh, and then they, yeah, sorry, you're Japanese. We are all mongrels, it's, man. We could, we should just We're cut all it mongrels. out. It's insane. I, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. always happy to point out people that I'm, that I'm mostly Jewish. I, I love the, I, the best story I ever heard of that was Patton Oswalt because Patton, he does it in one of his routines. And he talks about how he did one of these things, and he came back, you know, so much Jewish and so much this and that and the other thing, and then you know whatever Polish and all the stuff that they expect. And then there's a there's like fifteen percent Mongolian, <laughs> and he's like Mongolian. <laughs> And, he, and so he reaches out to them, and he and he he gets the guy on the phone. And he goes, "Yeah, um, Mongolian." And the guy's like, "Oh yeah, totally." <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, explain." He goes, uh, "It's Genghis Khan." 
Because when you know when yeah. he, when he, he went he moved all across. Genghis he, got around. He he, he screwed everybody. <laughs> Genghis and, got and, around. And just kind of yeah. And that was and that's the thing. It's <laughs> like okay, so how much of Europe actually has Mongolian blood? Because <gasps> Genghis Khan and the and the Mongols were just uh, uh, laying their seeds everywhere. I'm sorry, that would make me happy. Just so folks know, uh, Laura Linney, Marissa Tomei, Michael K. Williams, George R. R. Martin. Yeah, interesting. Right. Cheryl Sandberg, the journalist, uh, uh, journalist Christine Amon. Amon Poor, yeah. Joe Madsen, and uh, the athlete Michael Strahan. I think we got, yeah. he was on uh, CBS this morning. From yeah. are, are all in this one, and uh, so you know uh, all great. kinds of people from all over the places, and you find out all, all sorts of interesting things about them. Another one from Dr. Gates: uh, Reconstruction, uh, America after the Civil War. This is uh, this is endlessly fascinating uh, to me. If you happen yeah. to be a history, I'm an American history teacher. My, my father was basically born right after Reconstruction. Yeah, Reconstruction began in uh, 1863 uh, to about 1877. Yeah. Reconstruction is yeah. a very short period. But during that period, uh, the, the people have often forgot uh, the first African Americans, black folks, black Americans were elected, were, to, were elected Congress. to Congress. The United States got various different yeah. Congress, state houses, and First senator and uh, yeah. all businesses, uh, all those HBCUs yeah. uh, established, and uh, you know around 1877 for a number of different reasons. Most of most of which had to do with the South, yeah, uh, still being a mess, yeah, uh, after the Civil War and petitioning uh, for all kinds of restrictions to be allowed to be set up down there, and and how that changed the next. Uh, hundred, almost hundred years. Yeah, almost hundred years. Certainly up till uh, what? Brown versus Board of Education at the minimum. Maybe even the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Maybe that. Anyway, this chronicles that wonderfully, including lots of really, really great old daguerreotypes and uh, sort of photographs uh, from the period, sepia tone and all kind of stuff, walking right through uh, the 1960s and 70s. And he does this wonderful thing where he connects a thing that happened. Uh, in 18, uh, you know, uh, 75 to a thing that, that happens in 1975. And you can see the, the, the direct through line from that event yep. to this event because that's the way history works. And I love yeah. the way he tells it. All right, that's great stuff. All right, going to hit some uh, classics now. Going to blow through these piles. And uh, got a whole ton from the Kino Studio Classics line. So let's go through these first because Kino just keeps, uh, and this comes, man, every month Kino hits it hard. So you got to keep up because uh, this is these are significant movies, and you're going to find gems in here somewhere that you got to you, you have to add to your collection. All of them on Blu-ray. First one is a movie that is one of the greatest nature films of my childhood. I am so elated this is finally out. Uh, I think I saw this when I was. I didn't see it in, in the theater, but I saw it oh. not long after. Uh, Ring of Bright Water, which is basically um, Born Free with Otters. Yeah. That's what it is. It, they actually showed that in in uh, in, in in schools to us, like a, yeah. a school assembly sort of screening. Yeah, it it. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's it's born free with otters, and uh, it's the it's the the about the actual husband and wife team, um, who were in you know uh, uh, Bill Travers and uh, Virginia McKenna, who actually were in Born Free. Now they're focused on Midge. Who is just the sweetest little freaking otter thing in the world, and um, where this goes is just as compelling as Born Free, and uh, it's not as well known, but it's really, really a lovely movie uh, from 1969, Ring of Bright Water. Definitely got to see this. It's just, uh, it, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, 
Then we've also got Robbery with uh, Stanley Baker, Joanna Pettit, and James Booth. This is a uh, Joseph E. Levine-produced Peter Yates movie from 1967, right there on that, that moment before Peter Yates is really set to just kind of break through. Um, this is a uh, basically a, a one of those great British crime films of the 1960s, and uh, it it uh, it it's right in there. It's it's kind of in there with um, I don't want to say it's it's the it, it's with the Italian Job, but it's kind of like a, maybe a notch below the Italian Job. But it's really really gritty. It's got some great action scenes. It's very very cool. And uh, it's it's worth checking out. It really kind of captures the the moment in the in the '60s when uh, you know Britain had either spy films or gangster films. And this is a really really sharp one. And Peter Yates uh, directs the hell out of this thing. It's really really well done. And the film is Robbery from 1967 with a great cast. Also has Frank Finley, uh, William Marlowe, some just Joanna Pettit is so good in this. Just absolutely fantastic. Some of you might remember Swing Vote with Kevin Costner from uh, 2008. This is not that long ago, but it has become kind of a thing just because politics has gotten so crazy that now this movie feels almost like a documentary uh, all over again. It, it, at the time, people thought, yeah, that's kind of really crazy that there would be a, an election that came down to one guy and everybody has to court the one guy in order to get elected. And um, as silly as that sounds, sillier things happen every single day now. Uh, Stanley Tucci, Judge Reinhold, uh, Kelsey Grammer, Dennis Hopper, great cast. Uh, but Kevin Costner plays this this yokely guy just to a perfect tee, and that is uh, the strangely weirdly prophetic string, uh, swing vote. Um, Richard Crenna, Fred Astaire. It's a junket for that movie. I know it's, it just feels like <laughs> yesterday, right? Yeah, but it's all like it's nuts. Willigers, man. Uh, Alf Kellen in 1969 directed Midas Run. With uh, Richard Crenna, Fred Astaire, and Anne Haywood, very aging Fred Astaire, we should point out. He's not he's not dancing and hoofing it here for for in any conceivable way. Uh, Cesar Romero is in this as well, which is always fun. So is Roddy McDowell. Um, this is basically a heist comedy, and uh, it's got a great great score by Elmer Bernstein. But otherwise, it's just a heist comedy, and uh, it's it's fine for what it is. In 1960, had a lot of 1960s had a lot of heist films and heist comedies. And mm-hmm. it's, it's cute. I uh, wouldn't say it was a list or anything. Um, one of my favorite all-time Jim Jarmusch movies, Broken Flowers, oh, with Bill my Murray. Goodness. Bill Murray is amazing in that movie. It's Jim uh, Jim Jarmusch just opened the Cannes Film Festival with a zombie movie yeah. that apparently with Bill Murray yeah. that everybody thinks is great. Yeah. The reviews are through the roof. I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, I can imagine what a Jim Jarmusch zombie movie is going to be like. It's going to be the best. It's going to be the end of all zombie movies. <laughs> but uh, Broken Flowers, Bill Murray plays a guy who, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's one of these um, celebrities who's been uh, fast and loose and very indiscreet over the years. And he gets a letter from a former lover, not signed, about uh, a daughter that, that she had. And now he's got to figure out who was it? And he's got to try to figure out, uh, you know, where, who's this daughter and this, where, how do I track this person down? Yeah. And so he goes and revisits all of his previous conquests. And it's a really interesting kind of mythical odyssey on a, on a weird Jarmish scale. Uh, I think it's a brilliant film. Yeah. Jarmish wrote and directed it. I think it's absolutely genius. If, 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 if uh, in the hands of a ordinary director, <clears throat> it would have just been a sort of rude, crude, obnoxious yeah. guy trampling back through the, but, but no, this thoughtful. is this contemplative, thoughtful, it's so thoughtful, you know, Sharon Stone, very good in that movie. Oh, she's so great. Uh, the man who haunted himself. 
by Basil Dearden, starring <laughs> the actor that the British hate to claim their own, Roger Moore. Uh, I have talked to so many people from England, so many of my British friends, just they... They would prefer to pretend that Roger Moore is really he's he's American, Canadian, he's, he's Canadian, Canadian. <laughs> he's not British. It's I watch the, him on the Saint every morning. It's I one know. of the early mornings. Yeah. I'm sorry, Roger's all right with me. Roger's my mom. And you know he was my favorite Bond. I know he was this, my first this, Bond. This, my, you know Connery was always a little too mean. Roger yeah. was a Bond vivant. He was yeah. he was a secret agent and loving it. So so what what this is a, this is actually a really interesting movie. Uh, and Roger Moore is surprisingly good in it. He's not doing the Bond thing. He's not doing the the the, the Saint thing, the Simon Templar thing. He plays a guy who's in an accident, and he's momentarily and, he, and he's dead for a moment. They momentarily, they briefly declare him dead, and then once he gets back to his life, he finds out that somebody who looks exactly like him has been living his life, Ugh. like to to a creepy degree. It's not not just like sightings. Like actually insinuating himself into his life, and um, it's it's really it's very Lynchian actually, uh, and it gets in all kinds of questions about his mental state and you mm-hmm. know possible supernatural explanations. It's really good. That's kind of wicked cool. Yeah, it is. And before he died, they were able to get an audio commentary with uh, Brian Forbes, uh, who who uh, um, co-wrote this, and um, uh, and uh, Roger Moore. And moderated by Jonathan Sothcott, and it's really quite cool. Uh, there's also a, uh, a little tidbit on here with Joe Dante and Stuart Gordon talking about the film in their very expert way. It's really, uh, it's very, very cool. So Basil Dearden, director Basil Dearden, is the man who haunted himself with Roger Moore. It's very cool. Uh, um, this is a legendary film. We talked about this when we talked about the Hal Ashby documentary, Hal. Yeah. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the film that really kind of started it all for Hal Ashby, The Landlord. Uh, which was produced by Norman Jewison, his very very good friend, who's interviewed all over the place in that documentary. And uh, this is where this is where Hal Ashby moved from being a, a legendary editor to being a great director. Yeah. And it is a great great film. Uh, this was made in 1970, and it really is one of those 60s to 70s pivot points. Uh, stars Bo Bridges as the wonderful this, Diana Sands. Oh yes, it's this is just terrific. Uh, and it, this deals with it deals with um, you know the, the 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 changes that are going on at the time, obviously with gentrification and class and race, and they're all it's these, all relevant again right it, this right now. very second. It's insane. Right Bill Gunn, yeah, uh, the one of the one of the screenwriters on that, and shot by Gordon Willis, yeah, the legendary Gordon Willis, yeah, uh, whom I've heard on the phone. Uh, Marlon, another Josephine Levine film. Uh, Marlon Brando starring for Michael Winner in The Nightcombers. Uh, really kind of not a film that a lot of people have seen, to be honest, from 1972. Uh, has, has a couple of audio commentaries on here with Michael Winner and uh, film, film historian Kat Ellinger. Um, but uh, it, this is definitely one of those weird 1970s movies. There are a lot of these that have a have a really bizarre feel to them. Just they feel like kind of early, like period horror films that were nonetheless very mm. much rooted in the 70s. And this is uh, adapted from uh, Henry James Turner, The Screw, which previously was the basis for at least two other films, including The Innocents. And uh, really great performances in here. Um, but Brando. It, Brando in his... Uh, Kind of in his uh, last tango mode mm-hmm. uh, is very very good and very different from what you would normally expect of him. The movie's kind of disappeared a little bit, as like most Michael Winter films, but it's uh, it's worth checking out still. The Nightcombers with Marlon Brando, produced by Joseph Levine. Uh, 
Uh, I got two more here. One uh, sublime, one dick ridiculous. I am quite a fan of the um, the very underrated von Richthofen and Brown, mm. a movie from 1971. A little bit late for World War One movies, but um, really a lot of good stuff in here. This is you know directed by uh, um, uh, Roger Corman, and uh, one of those Roger Corman movies that you would. Um, not expect him to have directed, mm. um, because it's it's far because better. It's a real movie, it's, well, yeah, right. Yeah. Every now and Roger so would do that. Uh, you know, uh, it, Roger Corman had a had a he, Roger Corman had a moment in his career where he was um, he was trying to be a real filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Even when he was still making exploitation films, he was trying to be a real filmmaker. And for 1971, he decided to, to take a shot at it again, and uh, produced by his brother Gene. And working with a, a very good script by John and Joyce uh, Corrington, and a great score by Hugo Friedhofer, by the way. A really, really good classic score. Hugo Friedhofer, one of the all-time greats. He decided to go and tell the story of the Red Baron, but not just the Red Baron, but his uh, the his his uh, his Canadian counterpart, the uh, former wheat farmer Roy Brown, and. Um, it's really, really quite smart, and it's one of the better films from that. Uh, one of the better World War One films from that era, and there are a few of them, but this one really—it's very, very smart. And you see what a good director Roger Corman can be. It's worth checking out. It really yeah. is. Uh, there's even an interview with Corman on it, who's always a fun interview. We've interviewed him before. And here is the ridiculous Bitter Moon. Now, I love the score for Bitter Moon. I love the director of Bitter Moon, despite the controversy. Roman Polanski directed Bitter Moon. The score is by Vangelis. I am a huge Vangelis fan. I own the score. It's a great score. Um, Polanski makes a lot of great movies. This is not one of them. This is just, this is insane. This is basically, let's take four people, uh, put them off on vacation together, uh, and let them just kind of do weird and kinky sexual things with each other. Uh, in a bizarre foursome thing. Emmanuel Seigne, Polanski's wife, uh, is in it. Uh, so is Peter Coyote. The other couple is Hugh Grant and Kristen Scott Thomas. Now, the thing is, if you want to see Peter Coyote put on a pig mask mm. and then we'll go around, uh, and be on all fours naked with the pig mask crawling around on the floor... That's actually a scene in this movie. Oh, yeah. And don't forget about the thing with the milk. With the, yeah, the, the, no, I don't want to go there. This is just a twisted movie. I, it's supposedly a comedy now. That's what they're saying. It's funny. No, it was not meant to be no, funny. No, I saw that movie in theatrical release. This was. I must admit, most women, a lot of women, for whatever reason, like that movie. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why either. Anyway, I recommend the score. Nothing else. <laughs> shall we? Shall we? Yeah, a few far more? away. Uh, from man, some of these movies are disinterested me because they were longer ago than you think. Anaconda, nineteen ninety-seven. Oh, twenty-two uh, years 22 ago. Twenty-two years ago. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, of course. John Volt, Eric Stoltz. I had completely forgotten that Eric Stoltz was in this movie. Owen Wilson is in this movie. Holy Carrie Wurr is in this movie. Danny Trejo is in this movie. But of course, yes. the star of the movie was Jennifer yeah. Lopez, and and her. And, and Jennifer Lopez, yeah, and Ice Cube, uh, and uh, uh, anyway, this is a gigantic anaconda. Uh, uh, you that's know, it. That's you know, all that's all it is. The, the mistake that they make in this movie is the one that Stephen didn't make in Jaws. They show you the snake. <laughs> uh, if, they, if they never showed you the snake, just you know, sort of rippling up. But you know, once you see it's the also, big stupid it's fake also ass. ancient CGI, and so can, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really CGI. You know, I mean, really, it's like the snake looks like Dino from the 
Yeah, right. Flintstone cartoons. Yeah. Jennifer is fine as hell, though, so that's great. Uh, Ice Cube working with John Carpenter again. I hadn't thought of, of, of and not Actually, that was Luis Lalosa. This is Ice Cube with John Carpenter. And yeah. Ghost of Marge, Mars, which, believe it or not, is 2001. Uh, this was like when Ice Cube started his career. He had a moment there where, he, you know, obviously he played Doughboy, uh, Boys in the Hood. And then he did these, these sort of... Um, Funny sort of comedies, and, and every now and again he 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 play like a dad or something like that. And, and Ice Cube at this moment was still trying to play tough guys uh, with guns. And I'm so glad that he quit doing that and he started playing all those uh, you know barbers and all in in in, in the barbershop movies and all that kind of stuff. Because I think that's what gave him a career. If he had kept doing this kind of stuff, Ice Cube's career would have been over uh, you know 19 years ago. Nevertheless, in this one, uh, it's, it's uh, sometime in, I think it's 2176, and the Martian police have to, have to uh, pick up this highly dangerous criminal and transport him someplace. What do I love about Ghosts of Marge, this, uh, Mars? This is who's in this movie. So you got Jason Statham, had forgot about him. Clea Duvall, she's in this movie. Pam Greer, forgot she was in this movie. I know. Joanna Cassidy. It's crazy. Movie, I forgot she was in this movie. I know. It was just fantastic. Uh, cast of, uh, you know, really, really interesting <laughs> Um, uh, from 19, when, when did this come out? 1978. Yeah. Faye away, Tommy Lee Jones, The Eyes of Laura Mars. I will tell you this. Faye away had a moment when she was from about 1960, uh, Bonnie mm-hmm. and Clyde. Yeah. Uh, through about 1980, 81, uh, probably Mommy Dearest. Yeah. When she was really a one hell of a movie star. Yeah. Uh, she was alluring and beautiful and sexy and captivating. Faye was never the greatest actress in the world, uh, but she had a way of holding the screen there. And I, I, I hate that she sort of faded into, you know. Yeah, uh, but anyway, this is a really neat movie. Um, uh, look at the look at the cover of that in black and white. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. They don't make those cheekbones like and those yeah. legs. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones yeah. in the eyes of Laura Mars. Uh, not a lot on that. Bonus content includes an audio commentary by Irv Kirshner. Who directed the film? You want to knock off a couple of those? Yeah. So let's. Uh, well, we're right at the end here, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, call it quits here in just a second. But I want to make a make quick mention of uh, Godard's The Image Book. Now, I have not liked anything that Godard has done in years, <laughs> but Tim Tim is among those who who thinks uh, that he still has his has his chops, and yeah. a lot of people really love him, like our friend Manola yeah. um, over the New York Times. So so here's here's what Godard does. He goes and he shoots a bunch of stuff, just shoots a lot of stuff, and then he say, recites some esoteric. Yeah. stuff over it and yeah. I, it's i guess it's meaningful it's like sartre <gasps> sartre narrating somebody's vacation or something i don't know <laughs> but anyway that's what's going on here in uh, in the image book uh it, it's meant to what he's basically putting together is pieces of uh, of old movies and then like modern day footage and it's somehow all is supposed to make some kind of a juxtaposition that is poetic and meaningful i don't get it but nonetheless it's on blu-ray it's from Kino. It was. Uh, it won a special award at the Cannes Film Festival for some ungodly reason. I don't understand what. But there it is. Everybody gets it except me. I'm the only one. Doesn't get it. Uh, there's an interview on here with the uh, producer, Fabrice Aragno. Uh, never going to be an interview with Godard because he ain't going <laughs> to sit, sit still for that. Uh, and then there's a, an essay by James Quant, who programs at the uh, Cinematheque in Toronto. And uh, a, uh, a a conversation with Nicole Brené from the 2019 uh, Rotterdam Film Festival, which is rather elaborate and almost better than the movie, and, and almost worth checking it out all by itself. 
And uh, then the last one I'm going to make mention of here real quickly uh, is from Arrow Academy. you got to check this out. This is uh, The Big Clock with Ray Milan and Charles Lawton, mm-hmm. directed by John Farrow. Maybe the best film that Mia's dad ever directed. He did a lot of junk, but he did do a few really great films. And The Big Clock is one of the great ones. Uh, this is based on the novel by Kenneth Fearing. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a totally unique film for its day, which was uh, 1948. Yeah. Completely unique. It's, it's funny, but it's intense. It's dark and suspenseful, but it's ironic. Uh, it's got a really, really fascinating vibe to it. It would almost be a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, yeah. Charles Lawton, uh, 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 Marino Sullivan. It's, it's fantastic. It, Marino Sullivan, George McCready, Rita Johnson, Elsa Lan- uh, Lanchester is in it as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Really, really just uh, superb. And uh, produced by Richard Maybaugh, mm-hmm. who, of course, was the screenwriter for a lot of the uh, early Bond films as well. So uh, it's really worth checking out. It is, uh, it's just, a, a, you know, Ray Milan plays this, uh, this uh, uh, editor of a magazine that deals in crime stories. And um, his boss is Charles Lawton, who's an absolute terror, and says, no, you're not going to go on vacation. And so uh, the conflict that that generates their disagreement over whether Ray Milan is going to take a vacation mm. just goes totally off the rails. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I almost wish the Coens would remake this. Yeah, that, that is that is That's so... what they should do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. be fantastic. Great movie. Really great. Also has a uh, luxe radio drama on it with Ray Milan. Uh, it's terrific. The Big Clock by John Farrow from part of Arrow Academy. Okay, cool. And with that, we are done, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Hopefully nobody else dies during the week, because we're getting tired of all the opens. Got to start a new channel.